0: So it's uh, the end of May, and we began on January the 9th dealing in John's writings, and the gospel moved into First John, and so this is the last week, and I know you'll be sad to move on from all the imagery that John gives us with the contrasting light and dark and love and hate and good and evil and the ways that John juxtaposed these things that we still to this day deal with as the people of God and God's world. Um, and as we look into first John chapter one this morning, we see some of those same themes and we understand that the reason first John came to be was that John, while writing the gospel, as I've told you, for those who do not yet know and follow Jesus at the time it was written, first John was written to the church so that those of us in the church and still to this day could help, um, yeah, help people who do not yet know Jesus come to know Jesus. But there was a fracture in the community. It was a hard time for the believers and those receiving this letter, um, they they received this letter as, as more of a persuasive essay meant to encourage, meant to instruct them in light of what was going on. So if you'll turn your attention with me to the well, the first few verses in first John. And while 1 through 4 will be uh, where we spend most of our time in the next few minutes, I'm going to read through verse 10, the entirety of the first chapter. Let's look at God's Word together. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the Word of Life. That life was revealed, and and we've seen it, and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we've seen and, and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete." Let's keep reading verse 5. This is the message we've, we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we're, we're lying and not practicing the truth. If, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. May God add God's blessing to the reading of God's word. Those final six verses, terribly appropriate reminder for the church this week as we mourn the events of this week. May 29th, 2002. I've been waiting for this day a long time because I remember exactly where I was 20 years ago today. Do you? I remember where I was because 20 years ago today it was May 29, 2002. It was a Wednesday, and it was the first time I ever laid eyes on Leslie Ann Howell. I remember. I did not talk to her that night because I didn't have the guts, but I did see her, and I asked my friend Chris. I said, "Chris, who, who's that?" And he said, that's Leslie Ann Howell. I think y'all should date. And I did not disagree with his assessment upon seeing her for the first time. We were at Centennial Park in Nashville, and we were a part of a group of folks who were summer interns for our summer staffers for our church, and we were getting ready to lead, help lead in the youth group all summer. I, I, I remember it so well. I remember so much about that particular night it was really the first time I'd ever had a group of, of boys, they were 11th grade boys, to disciple, to be their discipleship leader that, for that whole summer and it was by myself so I had, I had that and um, I remember where we were, I remember what Leslie Ann was wearing, I remember so many events from that particular night. I remember our youth minister, Jeff, mentor, even to this day, looking at us leaders and saying, you better be prepared when you get in small group with these students. Because these kids are sharp. And they're going to know if you're not prepared. I remember him saying that. And it occurs to me that perhaps our kids, you know, coming off of last week, we commissioned our high school graduates. It occurs to me that perhaps part of the pandemic of our kids leaving the church and perhaps not coming back, which we've been experiencing for years now, has a lot to do with what Jeff was alluding to there, to us as leaders, and that being a good word for us all. Perhaps our kids aren't sticking in church because, well, maybe we don't take it seriously enough or take Jesus seriously enough. And certainly the way we have abused the power and authority that we've enjoyed in the church for years that comes with being given leadership roles in the church. But I digress. I can tell you a lot about that night. You know why? Because I was there. I lived it. Now, one of the early church fathers, his name was Papias, said an interesting thing that I remember reading in all the stuff I read in seminary, and I wrote this down, so I want to share this with you this morning. Listen to what Papias said. He says, whenever anyone came who had been a follower of the church leaders, I inquired into the words of the church leaders, what Andrew or Peter or... Philip or Thomas or James or John or Matthew or any other disciple of the Lord. And what the church leaders who knew them, the disciples of the Lord, were still saying. For I did not imagine that things out of books would help me as much as the utterances of a living and abiding voice. Interesting, huh? And if you look closely when you read Scripture particularly the gospel accounts, I like to do this in. If you recognize when there are names that come up in the story, sometimes names will even occur in there that we don't know very much about those people or we know very little about them. But those names find their way into the text. Names in an account, in a story told, provide someone that can be asked, right? Right? And it happened to be common over time for names to actually drop out of later accounts of the same stories or the same passages, perhaps even our first four verses here with or the first whole first chapter with so much talk about the community declaring what they had seen from the very beginning. Perhaps some names were in this text and, and fell out. We don't know. But eyewitness accounts strengthen testimonies, and they strengthen testimonies for one purpose a main reason. So that those who do not yet know Jesus of Nazareth as Lord would come to know him as Lord. And they too would become a part of this chorus declaring what was from the beginning. You with me? We are still taking part in what John is writing about here in these first four verses what was from the beginning what we have heard what we have seen with our eyes what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life concerning Jesus It was common amongst this community for people to be tried, for, it, for it to be attempted by some not real believers To try to convince the community that Jesus wasn't actually really a man. Just a spiritual being that came. Now while we don't deal with this specific heresy in our community, I don't think, I don't know of it. That was something they were dealing with and that John was addressing directly here. He was trying to help the community understand that Jesus did live. We saw him. We touched him. Even after he rose from the dead. We had the opportunity this week to be at our oldest two kids' school for some end-of-the-year end award ceremonies. and it was, it was really meaningful to be there and to hear the students, uh, excuse me, scholars who got awards, for the teachers to talk about them, to say what they are like. Such encouragement to hear how these scholars had blessed their teachers and their classmates. I don't think I was ever the quiet child in school. I don't imagine that I was. I've mostly been willing at every stage of my life, and I've been in school most of my life, to, you know, give an answer, you know, to throw something out there if there was silence in in the classroom. Unfortunately, sometimes, whether or not I really even knew what I was talking about. But I know that many of us are content to stay quiet in class and hope that we are not called upon. And while I don't recall it from, I think this this, uh, graduated out of style before my school years, I have read about something called a recitation bench. A recitation bench. Uh, And I can imagine this being one of the worst things imaginable for those of us who would rather not be called upon in a classroom setting because what would happen is several students would actually come to the front and they would sit on this bench or they would kneel down on this bench and the teacher or even the classmates would just pepper them with questions about, well, anything, mathematics, geography, some of the poetry they had been reading. Now, for many of us, it's not the actual questions, the geography, the poetry, the the math coming at us that scares us, it's it's having to stand up in front of a group of people and to answer the questions out loud. For so many of us, that can be painful. But I want you to consider something with me because I think it's really important in our text here and important for us to recognize as a fellowship of believers. I think as a church, we do this to each other and we do it for good reason. We exert this pain on one another. Here in our text we see John saying, We declare to you. We declare. The writer of Romans says it this way: if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we we will be saved. We've made this confession something that we do in front of one another. In our faith and practice here at the church at Harpeth Heights, we do it in the waters up behind this screen. That screen rolls up and, and we baptize. We ask, what is the profession of your faith? And the answer is, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And you, you say it out loud. You declare it as if you were on a uh, recitation bench. But you've got to own it. You see, in church, you can't just report what everybody else is saying. Brandon, what is the profession of your faith? Well, Leslie Ann says that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Well, Steve said that Jesus is his Lord and Savior. No. You've got to own it. In church, we don't just report what everyone else is saying. It occurs to me that That night, 20 years ago, well, I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't had the guts to call Leslie Ann to get her number and call. I left a voicemail, which I love remembering her voicemail message on her Motorola cell flip phone, which said, hey, this is Leslie Ann. I'm not here right now, which is hilarious because it's a cell phone. Where's here? I guess she could have. Man, I'm not right with my phone anyway. I don't know. But I left a voicemail, and I I have I have come to learn that she shared that voicemail with quite a few close people. Not because it was sweet or I was so winsome or I was just you know this character that was going to sweep her off her feet. No, because I was a bit southern and. She chuckled at my accent, but I had to call. You have to you have to say something yourself. It's the greatest blessing, though, y'all. And yeah, I'm speaking to pretty directly here to anybody in this room that may not have yet to, may not yet have decided to follow Jesus and to commit your life to being formed by Jesus. It's the greatest blessing. When all this time that you've spent in church, however long it may be when it comes to a head and and you start really caring about what you're reading in the Bible and you start desiring to open your Bible and to see what God has to say through the scriptures. And you start wanting to know more and more and more about what God is like and you want to be part of what God is doing and you want to enter the baptismal waters because you can't help but want to tell your church family that you are part of of them and they are part of you but you have to visit the recitation bench you have to confess with your mouth but can't i just go see the pastor or another staff member on tuesday sure you can yes you can but is it because you would rather be silent right now don't let the moment pass you by We don't know what we really believe until we hear ourselves say it. And that's what John's saying here in these first few verses of 1 John 1. He's saying, we are saying it. And we have been saying it. And we are saying it because we want you to hear it. Well, what do they want to be heard? Well, I believe it's in here. And it's a great reminder of the gospel for us this morning. So, the first thing is, John wants us to hear that there is fellowship between the Father and the Son. Verses 2 and 3 the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. It's Jesus. He's our conduit, He's our liaison, He's our advocate, He's our way to the Father to relationship with the Father. And I am telling you, as your friend and pastor, that is all you really want. You may not know it, but it is all that you really desire. It is the only thing that can make you whole. You can have relationship with God through Jesus. You really can. John 14, 9 through 11, Jesus was addressing the disciples and he says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. You can have relationship with God, the Father, through Jesus, the Son. Second, we declare it They declared it and we are called to declare it so that others may understand that fellowship and enjoy that fellowship together. I love Stephen. I didn't talk about the welcome, but he nailed it. It's exactly what we have to be glad about today. That we can enjoy fellowship together because the father and the son. Have fellowship. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. But you see, fellowship with us meant that you did not have fellowship with those who were trying to distort the good news of the gospel. Specifically at this time, as I told you earlier, those who were trying to make the claim that Jesus actually really didn't live, that he was just a spiritual being. So. But, but this it changed everything that we know and believe about the cross, If Jesus didn't actually live, we'll get back to that. 1 John 2.22, the next chapter over, the text reads, Who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Next thing we see in our text is that our fellowship together is with the Father and the Son. Verse 3, what we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, let's look at what John says, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, if you know... Our history know that Jesus was Jewish, then it's important for us to look at the story of the Israelites, who were God's chosen people, who were set apart all the way back to Abraham and Sarah to show the world what God was like. And they fell short. They fell short time and time again. And because they fell short in their disobedience, they suffered for it. And we still see suffering today. We have seen it so much this week. Our present age. Well, it is fraught with suffering, with pain, with injustice, with oppression. It has struck us, the story in Evaldi this week, the sexual abuse stories that were covered up with men holding on to power at the expense of the vulnerable. Well, these were the present and historical realities of the Jews that caused them to, in their best moments, rest their hopes in the promises of God, specifically before Jesus, that Messiah was coming. And for us, the promises would be that God, Jesus specifically, is coming again. Jesus is the embodiment of the age to come. We are stuck, Marty said it well, in the present age. And and sometimes all we can do is sit in it and be sad. But we have to, precisely because Jesus is the embodiment of the age to come and has already come, we have to come out of that sadness at some point and lean into the promises that are true and are real. And this is what is at the heart of what we believe, what was being declared, that that Moses was told by God to lead the Israelites out of the oppression of Egypt and into the vast wild wilderness and eventually into the promised land. This This is what was declared by Jesus on the last night that he was alive when he addressed the disciples and he he asked them for their hearts not to be troubled that he would not leave them as orphans but that he would return and take them to the place he was going precisely because he is the way the truth and the life and it's what Paul meant when he said in Philippians 2 to make his joy complete which is exactly the phrase that John uses here In verse 4 of our text, by asking those in Philippi to, well, look at verses 2 through 5. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and, and of one mind. Do nothing from a selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, regard others. More important than yourselves? Verse 4. Everyone should look not only to their own interests, but the interests of others. Verse 5. Same attitude should be in you as that of Christ Jesus. The heart of the early Christian movement, and it's no different than today, is that the age to come, what was promised has been revealed in Jesus. And Jesus has always been. Do you know this? Paul tries to illustrate it, and it's rather beautiful, in Colossians chapter 1. Look at verses 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him... Everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things and by him, all things hold together. He's also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might Come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus died on the cross, Jesus rose again, Jesus appeared. To those that he was closest with. Jesus ascended into heaven and left us with the Holy Spirit. Jesus will come again. These are the things we declare. Jesus holds all things together. The word for that future that we all share, is life. Life as it should be and will be. Life which death tries to corrupt but ultimately cannot because through Jesus Christ, God reconciled all things to himself through the cross. And because of this, life is available to us, all of us, for any of us who would come and take it. Behold it. This is John's clear declaration. Jesus is real. Now follow him and be formed by him. Last, real quick, this complete fellowship brings joy. And I know this week it's been hard for joy to be rendered, but it does bring joy. Joy, And it occurs to me through this letter that the point of this letter is to encourage within the church, sharing, uh, membership, we talk about a lot. Fellowship is the word we've used today. The fellowship and membership we have together in Jesus. I have to keep reminding myself and all of us, it's, it's, it's available for others too, right? Our doors are open, Right? If it's true that this declaration was made, if its purpose was was solely so that those who do not yet know Jesus will come to know Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth as Lord, then our doors have to be open, right? That's the point of proclaiming it. So others can come and see and touch and be changed, be transformed by Jesus. I talked to you a lot about the mythical town, Port William, that exists in Wendell Berry's uh, stories. Port William didn't distinguish the masses from the classes. People mingled freely in the gathering places of the town. Even Joe Banion, the last black man to ever live in Port William, was a participant and a subject in the town's ever-continuing conversation about itself. People loved and befriended one another and were loved and befriended. They talked with one another, about one another, not necessarily behind their backs, probably sometimes. But they fought with one another. They resented one another sometimes, things that people do. But all in the town were pretty much thought of without any idea of special privilege. Again, they didn't distinguish the masses from the classes most of the time. And yet, certain lines were drawn that weren't spoken of very much or noticed, but they were there. Joe Banyan was treated pretty much as an equal in talk and in work. But Joe Banyan in any of the stories never sat down with white people indoors. The white people who called him the word amongst one another to identify him among the other Joes in town, they would not call him such to his face. This fellowship, our fellowship, if it's going to be truly what Jesus wants it to be, that the declaration here in 1 John suggests it is. there, There can't be power amongst us outside of the power that belongs to Jesus Christ himself. Just imagine yourself looking around right now or look around. They're your equal. That's how fellowship is derived. True fellowship. And I can't help but think if we would do better at this through the power of the Holy Spirit within us, there would be more people sitting around us right now. Because it's true. He's the only thing that will satisfy. It's what the church has declared from the beginning. Let's pray together.